Welcome to Captivated Audience. My name is Marie Lombay, and I'm joined as always by Sam Sheen, my good friend and professional colleague. Hi, Sam. How are you doing today? I am having a splendid day today, Marie. How a about splendid you? Splendid day. Holy <laughs> Hannah. <laughs> well, I'm just having an ordinary day, but I'm fine with that as well. So, however, we do have a very interesting guest again with us yes. today. We do. And, you know, one of the great things about our community is even if you change jobs, you always bring along the friends that you've made. And I am really, really lucky that a friend I made while working at Stripe has kindly agreed to join us. But he's not only working at Stripe, he is on the UK chapter board for the ACAMS chapter here in the UK. Did you know that, Marie? That's awesome. That's a great community. So special guest, would you please introduce yourself? Describe the position that you have with Stripe and where you are currently located in the world. Hi, everyone. First of all, thanks, Sam and Marie, for inviting me to the podcast. This is Amir Hanif. I am currently based in London, uh, working for Stripe as the money laundering reporting officer for the UK and the acting MLRO for Ireland. So Amir, this isn't your first rodeo, as they say, in financial crime prevention. So tell us a little bit about your previous experience. Well, Sam, it's been a round-the-world experience. I worked in financial crime issues for the U.S. government in Washington, D.C. in a different life a long time ago, and then moved to Singapore to join Standard Chartered Bank as the regional head of um, the U.S. law compliance program. While there, I was also concurrently in various positions, such as the head of financial crime for Vietnam, the global head of correspondent banking governance, and then moved to Bahrain as the head for financial crime for Middle East and North Africa, and then uh, moved to London to join Stripe at the beginning of January 2020 and have been here since then. Wow, it sounds like you have ticked off a lot of countries to live and work in. It's been a world tour, Marie. I'm I'm hoping to continue moving west, as they say, eventually ending up in the U.S. maybe in the next decade. Well, at least we know one thing, which is you and your wife are very good at packing a house, right? It helps when you don't have a lot of stuff and you absolutely agree with the wife on anything and everything she wants to say. <laughs> <laughs> and when did you join the ACAMS UK board? Well, Sam, this was inspired by you. So I, I joined the ACAMS board in January of this year. And the goal behind joining the board was that um, because I just moved to the UK, I wanted to participate more in what the financial crimes community was doing to mitigate financial crime, not just in the UK, but in Europe. And I found ACAMS to be an organization that makes a real difference in our function. Um, so I thought I would try and join and make a difference. And they were uh, kind enough to um, accept my uh, request. Well, you have some really good colleagues on that board. And some of them has been guests here at Captivated Audience as well. So congratulations on that. Thank you. So today's podcast is actually all about KYC. And as you know, the other week we spoke to Elizabeth Slim about transparency and the U.S. developments with their AML legislation. But this time around, we're going to talk about transparency and legal entities in relation to a development here in the UK. Now, an article caught my eye in April where it was reported that the UK was planning to introduce 10 free ports as one of the means to bolster its post-Brexit international trade activities. Now, Marie, free ports and free trade zones aren't really anything new, are they? 
No, they are not. And they have been around since the Roman times, right? And we have approximately 80 of them operating in Europe alone. That's a lot of free ports. So, Amir, I understand that part of your financial crime experience with Standard Charter included dealing with customers who may have been established or had as a part of their corporate structure, a company formed in a free zone or a free trade zone. Can you just explain for our listeners and people who may not be familiar with these, what are they and what are they used for? Well, Marie, as you mentioned, free trade zones have been around for a very long time. And the reason why they have persisted for such a long time is because they can and do provide a number of significant benefits to businesses and countries that host these free trade zones. So what are free trade zones? Essentially, they are geographic areas where goods may be landed, manufactured, or reconfigured, and then re-exported without the intervention of the customs authorities. So what that essentially means is that they are subject to controls different from the host country's regular policies to companies operating in the region. The point about re-exporting is really important because if these goods are moved to consumers within the country in which the zone is located, then they become subject to normal customs duties. So essentially they're designed for global trade. And they're often established around major seaports and international airports. Furthermore, the limited customs controls and regulation, as I mentioned earlier, is so that free trade zones are able to facilitate trade faster and with little or no tax burden, primarily to encourage economic activity. Now, you may ask, what is the advantage for a business to register in a free trade zone, because essentially they're moving away from the local market because they can't get the advantage of selling in the local market if they're producing goods in the free trade zone. As you can imagine, the primary purpose is so that the businesses can save in taxes and custom duties. They have a lot of flexibility in terms of labor and immigration rules, and also lighter regulation and oversight of corporate activities, fewer restrictions, additional opportunities to distribute goods, et cetera. But while these are consistencies in free trade zones, what we have found and what is important to note is that there are different forms of free trade zones because they are based in different countries and sometimes in different jurisdictions within the same country. So companies that set up their presence in free trade zones need to be aware of the local nuances with that specific free trade zones. Also, while, as I mentioned earlier, they have allowed, countries have allowed free trade zones, variances with, from local requirements, free trade zones are subject to national customs regulations or other commercial laws and regulations, including money laundering and terrorist financing. So while at a local level, they may have restrictions that they do not need to follow, at a global level, they still need to. You know, coming from Canada, when we first had the free trade agreement negotiated all those decades ago, we were familiar with export processing zones. That was the term to describe free trade zones that were set up in Mexico, and they were pretty controversial for North America. But free trade zones are quite popular in the UAE as well. Now, why is that? Yeah, um, they are. And one reason why is because 
because free trade zones are set up to facilitate international trade, any country whose economy depends largely on international trade wants to take advantage of the free trade zones. And the UAE is one such economy. As you know, decades ago, the United Arab Emirates decided to move away from oil and expand their economy to include other forms of economic activity and international trade was one of them. And since then they have expanded the number of free trade zones that they have within their borders. Which brings to the point that I wanted to make is that while we talked about what is the advantage for a business to register in a free trade zone, well, what is the advantage for a country? Because remember, these countries are giving up tax revenues, they're giving up controls they have over businesses. Well, for the host country, the benefit of a free trade zone is that they attract foreign investment. They create jobs through that foreign investment and they enhance their export performance. Now, it's generally believed or it's a generally held belief that countries which host free trade zones have reaped multiple benefits from the free trade zones. But it's also accepted that free trade zones provide countries, especially developing countries, with an important way to attract foreign investment, promote economic development, thereby allowing them to essentially jump ahead in the line of countries that are growing economically. And so the UAE, to come back to the question you asked, was one such country where they did not have, at that point in time, a good baseline for development. And through using free trade zones, they have been able to enhance their economies. I'm seeing all kinds of red flags waving over here. They might have good features from a customs or tax perspective and drive the, as you were saying, you know, the local economies, attracting foreign investors and probably even employing people in their own country. And all. But from a financial crime perspective, why do you think, I mean, that AML regulators are not so keen on these free trade zones entities? Well, Marie, I think as financial crime professionals and as individuals who work the second line of defense, we are very well aware of the fact that if something is very good for business, it brings with it risks that we need as second line professionals to mitigate. So let's take a step back and talk about free trade zones as an entity itself. So who runs a free trade zone? They are generally run either by private companies or public-private partnerships. And the purpose is to generate trade, to generate business. For example, one of the risks that has been highlighted with free trade zones across the board has been related to the um, lack of transparency when it comes to know your client standards. That is something that raises concerns for financial crime professionals, no matter where it's raised. And when it's raised in, a, in an economy or in, a, in an entity that has lax controls to begin with, that raises additional concerns. Hmm. I was just thinking, we all know that KYC is know your customer or client. But in this case, it might be know your container. That's right. That's right. And remember, in a lot of free trade zones, the ability to know the ultimate beneficial owner remains limited. 
and in some cases is completely absent. So while you are looking at your container, you may not know who ordered the container or you may not know who the container is going to. Or what it contains. And, what, and exactly, and what is in the container. Mm. Actually, that's what, what you just said is very interesting because the OECD and the European Observatory on Infringements of Intellectual Property reported that free trade zones can facilitate trade, but also in counterfeits because of the lax regulatory control. And their analysis has shown that the larger the role of a free trade zone in a country's economy, the greater the value of counterfeit goods in that country's exports. Several years ago, I spoke to Hugo Miller, who is a reporter, and he focused on the free ports in Switzerland and, you know, discovered these were places where antiquities were being held, amazing fine art that no one would ever see because they were locked up in these buildings classified as free ports. And as I looked into that, I discovered there's all sorts of different measures people were trying to take to do due diligence when they were dealing with a customer or client who was using either a FTZ entity, as we call them, or had something sitting in a free port. And it was everything from getting a self-attestation from the customer to hiring an agent in the jurisdiction to walk to the registry and get photocopies of documents. Does that, does that sort of madness resonate with you at all? Well, trade-based money laundering, right? I mean, what you're talking about is undervaluation and overvaluation of goods because essentially you have an individual or a company representative essentially valuing a good based solely on self-declaration. And as you know, trade-based money laundering is not anything new. It has been going on for centuries, perhaps. But the challenge is that when you are dealing in a global environment, goods moving freely between borders, and you cannot know who the ultimate beneficial owner is, or the value of the good that you are getting, or as Marie said, what the good itself is, that leaves us exposed to a whole host of financial crime issues that raise concerns for money laundering professionals related to FTCs. And not just only money laundering, right? So we can have sanction violations on top of that. Absolutely. I mean, if you don't know what the good is, you don't know where the good came from. And if you don't know where the good came from, how do you know it did not come from a sanctioned jurisdiction or a company that has been sanctioned but is working in a non-sanctioned jurisdiction? So there are reasons for transparency. And FTZs, because of their nature, actually enhance the risk that these kind of uh, transactions raise. And then you have the side of it with structures, right? So there is a very famous case I've used in trading called the disappearing bank. Uh, a party in an offshore, which is a trust and administration company, is representing a client who wants to buy a piece of property somewhere else in the world. But the transaction is structured where an FTZ entity is used as part of that structure and eventually the money never makes it where it's supposed to because it turns out it's a massive fraud scheme. And one of the difficulties was they went to court to try and work backwards through the correspondent banks to see where could the money have gone, but they couldn't seem to get through the FTZ portion of it. Is it really that difficult? It is, or it can be, or it can be. I think we as financial crime professionals and also global regulators recognize the risks associated with FTCs. 
The question is, what will they do to mitigate that risk? So as you may know, the FATF did an evaluation on the UAE and rated FDZs as one of the risks that needs to be looked at and the concerns from those free trade zones mitigated. And I know that the UAE is working hard towards implementing controls that mitigate that risk. I think it goes back to the purpose of the FTZ. The FTZ is primarily there to facilitate trade. And if you're talking about global economies, especially developing countries, there is very little incentive for these nations to go to companies that are being registered in the FTZs and the investment that is coming into their countries to say, well, you cannot give us the money unless you give us all this information because the competition for the funds in the global market is so high and so strong that they will inevitably lose if there is another market that will take the funds. And that is why a global standard is so important. And that is why organizations such as the FATF, the OECD, who has the code of conduct for clean free trade zones are so important. And the irony of this though, is that we mentioned that Europe has at least 80 free zones or free trade zones. In 2019, it felt fit to produce a report that said free zones were the new emerging threat for money laundering and terrorist financing because it allowed for the obfuscation of beneficial ownership. It could facilitate fraud and counterfeiting. You know, so we sort of have these contradictory messages coming out. So, you know, is there a risk here that even if the UK introduces its 10 free ports, some institutions might just say, you know what, it's just too hard to do KYC on these. Let's just not do business with them because the UK certainly isn't a developing country, is it? That's true. That's true. And and that is a risk no matter where the free trade zone is located. Um, but I think the challenge for companies is that we do not want to, or financial institutions is that we do not want to go back to the world of de-risking. We need to understand that free trade zones are not going to go anywhere. They've been around for a very long time. They're probably going to be around for a very long time. And just because financial institutions say, we do not want to do business with entities that are registered in free trade zones, does that mean, does not, does not mean that the business will not happen. It just means we won't know what the risks are and mitigate them. De-risking in this case means that you're literally shipping that risk elsewhere. That's right. Or keep the business in that FTZ, but find another financial institution to support the business. So exactly. in either case, in either case, Marie, as you mentioned, the party doing the business will enhance the risk and they will not mitigate it. And that is something we in this in our industry and regulators all want to avoid. So I think regulators have a tough time here. They have to balance getting the correct information, harmonizing standards of KYC across FTZs, for example, but all the while making sure that they do not put so much pressure on the FTZs and the financial institutions that they walk away from the business and let this financial crime that happens go under the radar. Albert, just a really quick question. It would be remiss of me not to talk about the, the fintech sphere, right, where onboarding is done in a largely automated fashion. It's the highest competitive element for most fintechs is that seamless, frictionless onboarding process. A lot of that relies very heavily on being able to harness reg tech that can do that screening, checking, detection. Not so easy with FTZs, is it? 
No, no, it's not. And the reason why I think it's not is because there is no incentive for free trade zones to uh, automate their uh, KYC processes because they're running, they're generating revenue. There is no reason for them to go, well, if I don't do this, then my revenue stream will not increase. However, in organizations such as the FATF have been pushing for harmonization of standards, sharing of information between the free trade zones in a specific country. As you mentioned, Europe has X number of free trade zones. The UAE has, I think, over 39 different company registries. The goal of harmonizing those will require technological developments. And if they are able to do that, then the digital onboarding, the non-face-to-face onboarding, collection of information and verification of individuals through digital databases will become so much easier, especially for uh, entities that are registered in FTZs. Without naming where you worked at the time or how you came to find out about the case, can you give people a story? Can you share a story? about a case where an FTZ was misused for financial crime, Amar? I can. So this goes back a few years. This at a time when certain restrictions were in place on countries in a specific region. And the restriction was that country A could not participate in any trade with country B. But country B was a very big economic power in the region. And there was a lot of incentive for individuals to trade with that country. As we have mentioned throughout this session, because free trade zones have limited controls on ownership, where goods are manufactured, et cetera, in country A, goods were being manufactured and then shipped to country B. And this was being done by falsifying invoices. And also, this is where the financial crime component comes in, by undervaluing the goods. Because the individuals who are participating in this trade were smart enough to realize that it's not just where the goods that are being manufactured that can raise signals in a financial institution's monitoring or screening system, but also the valuation of the goods. So to get around those kind of controls, they were doing the dual process of A, saying the goods were manufactured in a third location and the goods were something else. And look, these goods are something else because their valuation is X as opposed to what it should be. The tough position there is that it's very difficult to capture these kinds of things because we don't do checks on goods. We don't open the containers and see what the goods are. So one way for us to find that is by tracking where the vessels are going, where the vessels originate from and where the vessels end up going. Now, the challenge there is that the vessels manifests can be falsified. So how we track this was we found out about a vessel, but we weren't sure that the vessel was actually circumventing the controls that have, had been imposed by the country. So we looked at the path the vessel took in its manifest, as in I'm going from country A to country C, because they didn't say they were going to country B, and how long it took for them to get to country C. And because it took them longer than it would have taken on a normal journey, 
we found out that they had stopped over, not in country B, but close enough that they could transship those goods over to country B and then continue on their journey to country C. You know, very difficult to track, but this goes back to the point we were talking about earlier that fighting financial crime is a global effort, as in multiple parties have to be involved. So this was the shipping registries were involved, the, the ports were involved. And without their support, we could never have found that shipping company and the owners and the company registered in the FTZ was participating in this kind of fraud. So we're talking about geography. This is a really good lesson, I'm guessing, that we can all learn where those free ports are located. I feel like we're having trivial pursuit for compliance officers. It's yeah, awesome. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, on that note, Amar, can I thank you so much because I know you were tremendously busy with so many things for taking time out of your day to join us. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed the questions and I uh, look forward to listening to the podcast when it's aired. Thanks, you. Until next time, please get your vaccination, wear a mask, stay safe and take care.